0: Morning. Turn with me to Second Samuel chapter thirteen. If you're new here, or you uh, haven't been here a long time, one of the things we like to do here is what is called expository preaching. Go through books of the Bible, uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, drawing out the meaning from the text. Uh, and include historical, grammatical, and and cultural distinctions in order to see what God was saying then, and then getting proper understanding of the interpretation and bringing application for us today. For us today, one interpretation, many applications. Today's passage is one of those passages, one of the passages that many uh, pastors would love to skip over, including me, for no one in their right mind would open up or begin to think through preaching on the following weekend and think of, I think I'll open up to Second Samuel chapter 13 and preach this text. The title, if you saw it earlier, is A Dead Giveaway, Rape and Revenge. I want to preach faithfully, I want to preach pastorally. Let me just say I realize that uh, violence, particularly sexual violence, is, is very hard, very damaging, and let me say right up front, the pastoral team and the leaders here at King's Chapel are here to help you in any way. Uh, we can if you've been a victim of violence. We would never sweep it under the rug. We would never justify We would never tolerate it at King's Chapel. According to Rain Rape, Abuse, and Incest Network, they used federal um, reports. Every 98 seconds, another American is sexually assaulted. One out of every six American women has been a victim of an attempt or a complete rape in her lifetime. 3% of American men 1 in 33 have experienced an attempt or complete rape in their lifetime. According to Child Protective Service agencies between 2009 and 2013, they found strong evidence to indicate that 63,000 children a year were victims of sexual abuse. My hope is to be completely honest with the text, but also very hopeful because of the gospel. Before we read our narrative this morning let me bring everyone up to speed the first king of israel saul is dead david is now king over israel he's conquered and subdued most of the land uh the surrounding nations he's captured jerusalem he brought in the ark he and 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 he intends to build god a temple there and god tells him no your son will but i will make a covenant promise with you that from your lineage from your seed from your line we will i will bring a son from you who will have an eternal kingdom, an eternal home, a place that, that will, will bring God's people together to dwell, and that is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He will have a, a kingdom that will have no end. And then in chapter 11 we've learned that rather than go to war like all the other kings, David is home and he, and he strolls out on his rooftop in Jerusalem and he sets his eye on, on a beautiful woman cleansing herself. She's actually following the Mosaic law. David looks at her way too long and way too hard and decides he wants this woman, not for his wife, not even for a concubine, but for a night of lustful passion. His servants tell him, listen, that's, that, that's the wife of one of your friends. That's the wife of, of one of Israel's military hero. That's, that's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. David doesn't care. David calls for her, sends for her, and has sex with her, and she becomes pregnant. David then hopes to get Uriah the Hittite, who's out in war, to come home to Jerusalem, get him drunk, so he would sleep with his wife, but he doesn't, because his fellow soldiers are at war. Uriah has more integrity than David does, so David decides, you know what, I think I'll have him killed, and sends him back to the, uh, to the, uh, to the, uh, the fighting, and Uriah is killed, God's grace then comes to David through the prophet Nathan. And Nathan tells David a story, an emotional story about a rich man who steals the pet you, the pet lamb, from a poor man. And when David condemns the man for doing such, Nathan tells him, you are that man. Then David repents. He, he confesses his sin. He repents of his sin. We saw that in Psalm 51. God forgives him, but God does not take Away, the consequences. And the first painful consequences we saw of David's sin is the death of his child born from his adulterous relationship. David prays for this morning this baby as the baby's first sick. David prays, David David mourns for the child, but after the son is taken to glory, he washes himself, worships, and goes home and eats. And because David has hope, David trusts in, David has confidence in the fact that he will see his son again in glory. Grace comes to David again. David has a son, his name is Solomon. Chapter 12, verse 24. His son is named Solomon, which is, which is the peace of God. David now has peace with God. And Solomon will be the son who will be the king who will then be also in the lineage of the king of kings, Jesus the Christ. Chapter 12 ended with a continuation of the siege that took place. If you have your Bible, turn there. The last few verses, the the siege of Rabbah, where Uriah the Hittite was actually killed. And, And after a while, David captures the city. And chapter 12 closes. In chapter 13, we come to the next traumatic Consequence of David's sin—the rape of Tamar, David's daughter, and the murder of his son Amnon. Once again, David will mourn the loss of a son. That's why we do an expository preaching. This is next in the text. I don't think some of your name and claimant prosperity preachers will turn to this chapter, but we will. Second Samuel chapter thirteen. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar. For she was a virgin and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man, and he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard, depressed, downcasted? Morning after morning, will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and and pretend to be ill, and when your father comes to see you, say to him, Let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I might see it and eat it from her hand. So Abnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to him, Abnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight, that I may eat from her hand. And David sent home to Tamar. Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down and he took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And, and she took the pan, she emptied it before him and he refused to eat. Amnon said, send out everyone from me. So everybody went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into my chamber that I may eat, of your hand, eat from your hand. Tamar took the cakes she made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. And when she brought them near to him to eat, he took hold of her and he said to her, come, lie with me, my sister. She answered him, no, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? As for you, you would be as one of the, excuse me, the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her. Being stronger than she he violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up, go. But she said to him, No, my brother, for this wrong of sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her again. He called the young man, who served him and said, put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So a servant put her out and bolted the door after her. Verse 19, and Tamar put ashes on her head, tore her robe that she wore, and she laid her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, is Amnon, your brother been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He's your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived, a desolate woman, in her brother Absalom's house. When King, when King David heard all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister, verse 23. After two full years, Absalom had chief shears at Belhazar, which is near Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. Absalom came to the king and said to the king, Behold, your servant has sheep shears. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, no. Let us not all go, lest we burden some, be burdensome to you. He pressed him. He would not go, but gave his blessing. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with me. Go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But Absalom pressed him until he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Then Absalom commanded his servants Mark, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, Strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not fear. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded them. Then all the king's sons arose, each mounted his mule and fled. We'll stop there. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. That's where we are. Rape and revenge. Forbidden love. Forcible rape, family dysfunction, number one. Let me tell you, as I I studied this text, I'm recalling years of ministry, and all the times I've heard men and women talk to me, talk to me about, about love in order to justify their sin. I remember sharing my frustrations with another pastor years ago about a conversation I was having with a man who told me they were in love with a certain woman who was not his wife. And every time I tried to convince them or convince him of how wrong it was, he would say, and I would tell him, you don't love her. He would say, yes, I I truly, truly love her. I remember thinking, how am I going to convince this person, this man, that you don't love that person? And then the wise pastor said to me, you're not going to. What you need to talk to him about is that his love for her is a forbidden love. A forbidden love. Sometimes we are led by our emotions. Sometimes we are led by our emotions which are not reliable and not trustworthy. And they can be, regardless of what you've been told, sinful. The story opens with several of David's family, his sons, his his daughter, His nephew. And David's son, Absalom, has a sister. A full sister. Mom and dad. Her name is Tamar. There's a half-brother. They share different moms, but they have one father, which is David. His name is Amnon. Verse 1, it says Amnon was in love with his half-sister. I can only imagine trying to convince him, you don't really love her. Because in verse 2, according to him... His emotion was so powerful. He loved her so much. He wants her so badly. He's ill. He's sick because of his sister Tamar. Now, in your text, in verse two, it says she was a virgin. The Hebrew word for virgin is not simply virgin. It is, it is a virgin of a marriageable age. It's a it's a a mature woman. It was too much for him to handle. Now, we know that he did not really love her in the right and biblical sense, right? is half-sister. Love is not defined, listen, love is not defined by man or by human emotion or by culture or anything you've learned. God is love, right? God is love. It originates with him because that is who he is, 1 John 4. Let us love one another, for love is from God, originates from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. The source of love originates with God. John did not say love is God. Anything you think it may be, but God is love. There's a giant difference between the two. I mention this because I don't want... I'm going to do this a couple times. I don't want us to think that only this this twisted love, which led to rape, is, is the only act of forbidden love. It is. But maybe your lust doesn't drive you to rape, but the one you love is forbidden, according to Scripture. The one you desire sexually is a violation of the Word of God. We need to repent from that. You need to recognize that it is a forbidden love. God is not a a killjoy God who doesn't want what's best for you. He actually does. That's why we have his word. He knows what's best for us. That if we love him first, we love him first over all other loves of our lives. We will have an orderly love, as Augustine says. If not, it'll be a disorderly love. And as the story unfolds, we're going to see how Amnon is like his dad. King David and his forbidden love for Bathsheba. Ralph David writes this, Amnon has far more glands than brains. This is a story of a dysfunctional family that passes its dysfunction on to the next generation. We don't really want to talk about that. It's not a guarantee but that's something we need to see and we'll talk about in this passage. Amnon felt what his father, David, had felt when he saw Bathsheba forbid love on the rooftop, bathing. It wasn't love, it was lust. Unlike his dad, Amnon, for the moment, could not find any way to fulfill his lust. That's why in verse 2 it says, and this is just raw. That's why I love Scripture. It seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. We all know what that means. But Amnon's lust for Tamar become evident to his friend. His friend shows up. It's actually his cousin. If you see the text, Jonadab, the son of Shemiah, who is David's brother, therefore David's nephew. This man becomes the snake throughout the, the narrative, actually. He he has great gifts of wisdom and discernment and craftiness, but he does not use it for the good. He's shrewd, but not in a righteous way. He doesn't have integrity. He's helping Amnon, who's caught up in his lust, to fulfill his lustful desires. He steps in. And and family, I, I have to tell you, Anybody in our lives who makes it easy for us to sin, encourages us to sin, encourages us to sin sexually, is not your friend. That includes your boyfriend and your girlfriend. One man, one woman, covenant of marriage. Amnon, illicit lust, is out of control. He can't think for himself, so he gets this Jonadab, his his cousin, to think for him. He has savvy, no scruples. He has wisdom, no morals. He has insight, but no integrity. And Amnon, illicit lusts, takes on an assiduous plan. Jonadab tells him, verse 5, this is what you need to do, man. Just lay down, make believe you're sick. Your dad comes and checks you out. How's things going? You tell him you're sick. Say, send me Tamar. That's what you should do. Jonadab knew what Amnon wanted, and he told him how to get it. Dr. Bergen from New American Commentary writes this. I thought this was right on. He says, Amnon's so called love was, a perv- was as perverse as Jonadab's so called wisdom. It was a sensual craving for sexual gratification that was just as earthly, unspiritual, and devilish as Jonadab's wisdom. End quote. But the plan, this devilish plan, right on cue, set in motion. Obviously, David's children lived in separate quarters. David listens to Amnon's request. Doesn't ask any questions. And sends Tamar. It seems Amnon's wish was David's command. You can see things already. Things ain't right with David and his children. You get a sense already that David is lacking strength, wisdom, leadership in his home. The word for cakes in the Hebrew is a heart-shaped. A heart, a heart-shaped bread. And in verse 8, we see Tamar obeying her dad. Everything in this narrative tells us and suggests to us that Tamar was totally unaware of what's going on inside Amnon's filthy mind and filthy heart. Her sincere devotion to prepare the food, her innocence its care for her so-called ill brother, is evident. And she arrives at Amnon's residence. She's making the bread, and three times the passage says, in his sight, bring her in, in my sight, in my sight, in my sight, to bake the cake. Amnon, like his dad, is not simply looking at her, but lusting after her, he longs for her. As they say, the apple doesn't fall very far from the tree. However, it says that Amnon first refused. I, I don't want to eat. And then he says, everyone get out. I think we have to pause here and just see this. We're going to see it a couple of times. This evil irony. I wrote irony in my notes. I thought, such as irony. It's evil irony. David sending his daughter at the request of Amnon, just as David sent his men to get Bathsheba, for home. He sends for Bathsheba and violates her, and now he's sending his daughter who will be violated. David is the means by which Amnon is to is able to get Tamar alone. I mean, is, is David that ignorant? Is David that gullible? Did he really think that a beautiful woman of marriageable age, mature, should be in a room alone feeding A young man in his bed. Bad idea. Guard your heart. I mean, the king has multiple master chefs at his disposal. The king. Verse 10b, very sad. Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber chamber to Amnon, her brother. Elicit lust, insidious plan, complete. Verse 10. As we move on, this is very hard. As Tamar complies with her father's request and her brother's request, the men in her life that are to care for her, love her, and protect her, to look after her. But she's grabbed by Abnon, And his lustful heart begins to speak. He says, come lie with me, my sister. Just like the little lamb that that ate from the poor man's hand that he wrapped his arms around, that was taken from him by the rich man. That's what Nathan told David. So David's daughter is taken by the strong man in his own family. She answered in verse 12, no, no, my brother, do not violate me. Such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. I mean, rape is disgraceful, but here it's not just simply rape or only, it's incest as well. Explicitly forbidden in covenantal law. She pleads with him. It's not done in Israel. God's people don't act like this. This is wrong. This is wicked. Don't do it. She tries to reason with him. Think about what you're doing to me. Think about the effect on you. You will reduce yourself to the level of a wicked fool in Israel. Now fool in Hebrew doesn't mean just foolishness. It means a wicked godless man. Verse 13, Tamar even suggested if Ammon asked the king, the king would give her to him. Commentators are all over the place. I think it's clear. Myself, she's trying to get out of this mess. Give me an escape. She's pleading for her life. The king will give it. just get me out of here, whatever it takes. That's the way I see it. I don't think David's going to allow that. I just think she's desperate attempt to get out of the clutches of this evil, wicked, sinful man. Again, can't miss the irony, the evil irony of Tamar's powerful words. This thing, this does not... This does not happen in Israel except it just happened when my father took Bathsheba. Hmm. Verse 14. He would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Now, in the Hebrew, the word with is not in the text. He violated her and lay her. The description is just as ruthless and concise as the act itself. The narrator wants us to be very clear that he physically and forcibly raped his sister. He didn't drug her. He didn't get her drunk. It wasn't a, a minor and an adult. Again, all rape, but, he, but he, he was stronger than her. And that's what the text wants us to see. It was forcible. A few years ago, we did a study in the book of Genesis. We were in chapter 34. We had to deal with a, a, another situation like this with, with Dinah. And I think when, when the text, when she is calling out to Amnon, saying, you're a fool, things, things like this don't happen in Israel, I, I think the narrator wants us to look back at chapter 34, that Amnon is acting like a, a straight-up pagan, like Shechem, the immoral Canaanite, like Amnon. They're both firstborn, uh, 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 the firstborn, they were rulers, and, and they both violated women of Israel. And you know what? They both wound up dead. And that's what we're going to see happens to Amnon. Why would a story like this be in the Bible? Maybe some of you are going, uh, "I was walking down the road. I stopped in here. If I get up now, everybody will see." You know, you know, one of those. Well, first of all, there, there are a few. We'll look at a couple now. First of all, you're not alone. I've spoken to many. One is too many. Many men and women, women and men, who are innocent victims of violation. The Bible is a a book, a real book, an honest book of hurts, pains, and deep darkness. There isn't a circumstance that the Scriptures does not speak to in some way or some fashion. Also, this is laid out for us to see its glory details to not only identify with us, but to show us that sin's, Generational sins can sometimes be given to the next generation. Amnon, unfortunately, is behaving like his father. Absalom, we shall see, behaving like his father. And this should be a huge wake-up call for all of us. And if you're alive this morning, and I hope you still are, your, your heart's got to go out. It's got to go out to Tamar, right? Right? Anyone who's ever suffered this kind of attack, this kind of evil, this kind of violence bears an incredible, incredible amount of pain and a hurt that never seems to go away completely. The psychological, the emotional, and spiritual costs of this incident will be with her for the rest of her life. She mentions in verse 13, "Where, where am I gonna carry my shame? In that culture, it was shameful. And I'm sure she felt shameful, even though she is innocent and actually dirty. And let me make this really clear to you this morning. Whatever may have happened to you in the past, whatever may have happened to you in the past, whatever shame and filth you may feel from it, Jesus Christ shed his blood and will cleanse you white as snow. Whatever happened to you in the past does not, child of God, does not determine who you are in the present. Jesus is the only one who can cleanse the deepest filth and bear the darkest shame, Jesus. In the gospel, according to Mark, I mentioned this before, but I want to say it again. Jesus touches uh, that which is unclean, A a woman, bleeding disorder, a dead young girl, and they are... In all aspects of Hebrew law, Jesus then should become ceremonial unclean by touching something unclean. But divine holiness is not defiled by touching human uncleanness, but rather imparts cleansing. Jesus saying, I am cleanness. Whether something you have done, whether, whether something has been done to you, no matter how inadequate or shameful you fear, no matter what Jesus is saying, when you come into contact with me through the gospel by faith, when you come into connection with me, you are clean. You no longer have to live identifying with the past. You can now be washed and clean, family Believe that this morning. Tamar's is raped, violated, and then hated and rejected. Hated and rejected, verse 15. Feelings of guilt heighten the emotions. It says that he hated her more than he ever loved her. How quickly lust turns to loathing. When guilt sets in for to see her was to see his own shameful, disgusting self-obsession. In fact, verse 17, when it says, put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. The word "woman" is not in the Hebrew text. It literally says, get this out. By now, I want to kill Amnon. I'm going to be honest. Four daughters. I had a hard time not justifying what will happen to him. I'm just being honest. Tamar is not an object, she's a person. She's a child of God, not a piece of trash. Ralph Davis, now we see that Amnon's love was only lust, and we know lust and hatred are neutral bedfellows, natural bedfellows. Go, they go hand in hand. But Tamar, I love Tamar. Verse 16, man, she's like, I ain't sitting by. I'm not, I, this, this ain't gonna happen with me being quiet about it. Verse 16, no, my brother, this is wrong. And sending me away is greater than, than the other that you did to me, but he would not listen to her. True love doesn't violate people, right? You know, true love doesn't justify their selfish appetites by, by, by violating them, persuading them to disobey the law of God. But she is not going to allow this to happen without speaking up, without acting out. Good for her. Good for her. Great word for us. Don't be quiet, speak up. And then look at look what it says in verse 18. She's removed She's bolted from the door. End of story. Done. No. (laughs) All right. She's like, all right. I'm not being heard in that chamber. I've been trying to reason with him. I've tried to talk to him. He violates me. I'm still trying to talk to him. And now he kicks me out. Okay. Verse 18. She's wearing a long robe with sleeves. For thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So a servant put her out, bolted the door. Tamar put ashes on her head, tore the long robe that she wore, and she laid her head her hand on her head, and went away, right? The robe that represented my virginity was taken by you, and now not only do you know that, I'm letting everyone know that. Over and over it says, Amnon refused to listen to her, 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 her." but let me tell you something, she was heard. Another reason why the text is here, she was heard. She's in good company for God sees her. God will not sit idly by. In fact, her petitions, her cries, her screams, her replies, her courage, her godly efforts, her principles, godly principles are being told right now. She's being heard today. Thousands of years later, she is being heard. Tamar is being heard right now. Because she is being heard by God himself. He hears her cries. So you and I can rest assured that if something happens, some gross injustice, some violation has been done to you, it has been registered, recorded in glory. The story of Tamar is here so that we can know that, in, that, that, that justice will be done for people who are abused. Maybe, maybe she is recalling the psalm, the psalm of her father. Psalm 56, while David was on the run, in, in, hiding in, in the city of Gath, and he says in the psalm, Psalm 56, 8, you, O oh Lord, put my tears in a bottle. God captures tears. He's deeply concerned. He, he, he cares about our hearts that have been broken. This godly woman who was now in the presence of God had her tears washed and wiped away. God kissed her tears no longer. She is in the presence of, of infinite beauty, unceasing joy. That eclipsed all memory of her suffering. Rest assured, the Lord God himself will judge on that final day. Justice will be done. Meanwhile, verse twenty. Tamar is taken by her brother, Absalom. Absalom it seems loves his sister he'll name his firstborn daughter Tamar, and he takes her home. Verse twenty is interesting. Susie as as he sees her. He don't know what's going on. He sees the clothes ripped. I mean, something obviously was evident to him, but he says, did Amnon do this to you? That's interesting. Like, what man did this to you? Could it, no, did Amnon do this to you? Hold your peace, my sister. He's your brother. This is not gonna be easy. Do not take this to heart. I think he's just trying to comfort her. Don't let the memory of this tragic event destroy your life. Don't take it to heart partly because I'm going to. He doesn't tell her that. We know he does. So Tamar lived in the brother's house as a desolate woman. That may be the last we hear really of Tamar speaking, but it's not the last we hear of this violation. The rest of the chapter is the fulfillment of a prophecy that Nathan had spoken to David. Chapter 12, verse 10, he said, the sword will never depart from your house. David, your sins are forgiven, but the consequences is, it will be, the sword will not ever depart from your house. The rest of this chapter tells us that. Family dysfunction. This is about the revenge of Absalom in the murder of his, in the murdering of his brother, Amnon. Two years go by, Absalom is quiet, his mouth shut, his heart brewing with anger. And then the day came, it was a time for the sheep shearing feast. It's a feast time in Israel at Belhazar. It was about 15 miles north of Jerusalem. Now in order for Absalom to to work this murderous plot out, he's got to somehow convince his dad King David, to allow the people, David's sons, servants, to go with him. So he asked the question. His father says no. What's so interesting, you can go home and read verses 24 through 27. What's so interesting in this, in this going back and forth with father and son is you could tell something's not right. It's been two years, but something's not right. Dad, can you, I want to send your sons, let's go, we're going. No, no, no I, 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 don't, I don't want to go, we don't want to burden anybody. No, 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 come on, verse 26. If not, then, if, if dad, if you're not going to go and all, this, all your children are not going to go, send Amnon, verse 26. And the king says, why should he go with you? Hmm. Why do you want Amnon? He's the heir to the throne, he's next in line. He's the crown prince. And Absalom is hoping that if David himself is unwilling to go, he will at least allow the eldest son, the heir to the throne, to go. Verse 27, he pressed him. And David says, okay, my sons and Amnon can go. Two years of planning paid off. And now for the second time in the narrative, in the story of David, David's sons had manipulated the king. Once he was manipulated in sending Tamar. And now he's manipulated in sending Amnon. Both are the, resulted in monstrous, disastrous consequences. Verse 28. Amnon commanded his servants. What's so interesting in, in verse 28, the word servant and the verse, in verse 24, the word servant are not the same Hebrew word. In verse 24, when it talks about David's servants, it's slave servant. it's a regular word used. In verse 28, the word is young lads, young boys. These are Absalom's boys. He says, listen, boys, Mark when Amnon's Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, strike him, kill him. Disturbing, right? Kill him. The clarity, the calm words, the authority is frightening. He's got nothing on Michael Corleone. I had to throw that in there. (laughs) And then he gives these words. It's me, he says, "I, I have done this. And he gives words, fear not. I've commanded you, be courageous, be valiant. Haven't I told you? Sounds like Joshua 1. When, when Israel's taking the promised land, be courageous, I am with you. Like, really? So everyone waits, man. The wine is flowing, the fun has started. You know, the, the, you know every, everyone's happy. And the word was given. Actually, it was during the baptism of Absalom's nephew. If, if you don't get that, see me afterwards. But anyway, so there, the sheep shears are going on. The family business is about to take place. Verse 29 the boys of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded him. Like father, like son. Time of festival, time of, of, of prosperity, a time of drinking. David gave in to his lust and illicit sexual desires that eventually led to the murder of who? Uriah the Hittite, right? Now Amnon giving in to his lust and illicit sexual desires has led to his own death. David's two crimes were reproduced by both sons. Murder, sexual illicit passion. Hmm. David tried unsuccessfully to cover his adultery. And you know what's so, again, evil and ironic is he tried to cover his own illicit passions and adultery. He tried to do it by getting Uriah drunk. And what does Absalom do? Give him another glass. Give him another glass. Give him another glass. Kill him. Though rape is condemned in the Old Testament, there's lots of laws in there, Absalom, revenge is unjustified. This is not justice. This is revenge. And there's a huge difference between the two. Vengeance is for God to take, not Absalom, not you, and not me. That's why Paul writes, citing chapter 32 of Deuteronomy, Paul says in chapter 12 of Romans. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. With Abnon dead, Absalom is next in line for the throne. We'll see later on that that's part of his motivation. And the rest of the chapter, I'm not going to read it, but the rest of the chapter, the, when Abnon gets killed, the other sons are like, oh my word, are we next? Uh, and they They flee. Verse 29, they, they jump on their mules and flee. I don't know how fast they went. Couldn't have gone that fast, but they're on their mules. I <laughs> uh, could not have been that afraid. I don't know. It is your report, reaches David. It's exaggerated. All your sons are dead. David mourns. He lays prostrate on the ground, verse 30 and 31. And then the snake shows up, Jonadab, and says, man, but listen, you don't have to do all that. Your sons ain't all dead. The report you got about all oh, your sons dead, that's not true. Nobody's even come back from the sheep shearing festival yet. But Jonadab knows that only Amnon was dead. Hmm. He knew all along. He set up the rape and he knew about the murder. That's all all you could see. The sons come back to Jerusalem. David sees all his sons aren't dead. Just two are missing. Amnon is buried dead and Absalom flees to Gesher. He sees his sons, and there's a, just a, a crying and a weeping that goes on. That's how the chapter ends. What a tragic story, right? But there's one person we really haven't spent a lot of time on, and that is David the king. David heard, it says, that Amnon had used him and tricked him into sending Tamar. He understood what had happened. He became very angry. He heard and knows about Amnon and his rape and abuse of Tamar. He even knows, I believe, that he disposed her and rejected her and that she was caught running and screaming through the streets, her virgin attire torn. Yes, the scripture says that he became very angry, angry, but his anger did not lead To justice, Amnon should have been punished and Tamar exonerated. But Amnon is not held accountable. Tamar is not given any justice or compensation. And then Absalom is handed this beautiful opportunity for vengeance. David heard he was angry, and what did he do? Absolutely nothing. Maybe he was trapped in his own sin, thinking, oh my word, I can't do anything because they're just going to say, What about you, Dad? We have to be careful we don't parent out of guilt. We need to be careful that we don't parent out of guilt and an unhealthy love. It's not a time to be frozen and not administer godly discipline according to the Scripture. Stand on the Scripture. Confess and repent and acknowledge your sin. David's not simply the father of these boys. Listen, he is responsible. He's the king. He's the one who's supposed to administer justice, equity, righteousness in all of Israel. There's not even a hint of David comforting his own daughter. We're God's creatures. We defy God's... Law, we defy God's will, we do damage to people around us. I mean, look at the misery. The children of flawed people are flawed. Amnon and Absalom are behaving like their father. And again, as I said, it should be a wake-up call. As we look at this story, we learn how important it is for us to lead our families by example. If you care for your children, as I care for my children, David cared for his own children, I'm sure we've got to guard our integrity. Now, as I'm, as I'm saying this, and I believe that's the principle from this text, uh, let me just, because uh, I like to be balanced, let me just say this as well. I am not saying this to add to your guilt or to say that you're responsible for your grown children's choices, they are. But the story does teach us and to recognize our own sinful bends, propensities, And by God's grace, by the work of God's spirit and God's power, we need to be honest and we need to deal with them. I'm afraid, uh, here's what I'm afraid of as we conclude. Just give me two more minutes. Here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of if, if our generational sin or the things that we have a propensity to do, which is wrong and all of us have it, if it's not this, then we'll miss the principle. And I don't want that to happen. We just got to be honest. We got to confess and, and be men and women who confess and repent and, and, and acknowledge our, our, our bents towards certain things. Whether, whether it's acquiescing and let our children do what they want or whether it's too strict and we're pounding them overhead, we have a propensity that we need to just recognize that we are parents and that sometimes stuff gets passed down. I wish it wasn't true. Believe me, I wish it wasn't true. And that's the case. What about the covenant? What about the covenant of God's eternal kingdom? What about the hope that Israel had for all humanity? You see, the only hope is how this story should drive us to the gospel. This story should drive us to Jesus. Who does David's failures, his failure to step up, step in, protect his deception, his 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 lies and murder, who does that remind you of? It reminded me right away when I read the text. Adam. The enemy approaches even the garden. The enemy deceives her. What God has said, and what does she do? She eats fruit from the bidden tree. And then what does she do? She gives the fruit to her husband, the Hebrew says, was standing right next to her. <laughs> she gives it to her husband. He has the enemy, the liar, the deceiver, and scorns the order that God's established and simply ignores the man. He just goes to the woman and subtly attacks her. And doing that, he he moves Adam, the man, uh, from leadership to sideliner. Right? Uh, exactly what he wanted. He wanted a, a man who was weak, withdrawn, fearful. Piper says this, a masculine wimp is a very dangerous person. One moment he's passive and follows his woman, and the next moment he's angry and blames her. Larry Crabb, great book, Silence of Adam. When a man moves into, now listen, listen. When a man moves into the mystery of life with rage and lusts, he lives as the pagans live. He believes there is no hope in God. God is absent. God is silent. A man doesn't know what to do with the confusion of his life, so he rages and he lusts. End quote. That's David. That's the first Adam. But hear me this morning. The ultimate son of David has come. His name is King Jesus. He did not inherit his father's flaws and failures. He did not sit idly by like David, like Adam. David and Adam did nothing. David and Adam failed miserably. They can't save you. They cannot save you. Only Jesus can save you. Only Jesus can help. Only Jesus can nourish. Only Jesus can protect and gather his children who find themselves victims in this world like Tamar. This story, it drives us to Jesus because there's no redemption in it. <laughs> there's no redemption in the story itself. Someone else has to come as David's greater, perfect, righteous son must come. He has called us to a kingdom where corruption, like this story, can be washed clean, forgiven. My salvation is not in David. My salvation, your salvation, salvation is in Jesus Christ. Listen. Listen. Amnon violates his sister, causing her to never be a bride again. He rejects her and kicks her out. David does nothing. Adam does not step in and protect his bar- bride, but we have a greater bridegroom who loves his bride. Jesus doesn't violate his bride, but cleanses her. Jesus doesn't reject his bride, but brings her in to the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's a better and greater Bridegroom, his name is Jesus. That's what the story should point us to. Father, as we continue to worship you, it is our prayer that you would bring healing to the hearts that need healing, that you would reveal your glory, your mercy, your cleansing power to those who need a touch. From you this morning. Father, we pray for those who have not only been victims, we pray for those who have victimized others that they would seek you, that they would run to you and be washed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You alone are our hope, you alone are our salvation. You alone are the King of kings, Lord of Lord, who has come, who has come with mercy, cleansing mercy to us. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.